Let's begin the message with prayer. Father, we thank You for the opportunity to be here together to open Your Word. And as we open Your Word, we ask that You would open our hearts and our minds, that we might receive from You those things that we need to draw us closer to You, strengthened as a, as a family of God, and Lord, uh, able to be a testimony for You. We worship You, we praise You, and we thank You. In Jesus' name, Amen. This uh, particular part of Daniel, chapter 9, actually starting with the third verse, but uh, is probably, it's it's probably the longest prayer in Scripture recorded. And it is a prayer uh, uh, from Daniel, who is a prayer warrior, basically, we already have seen him in his in his in the capacity of one who prays in uh, Daniel chapter two and Daniel chapter six, of course, getting him into into trouble. Uh, the idea that he prays three times a day and 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 uh, he does so facing Jerusalem, the city of God, and and just his dedication. Okay, what I want to suggest to you is what Daniel would suggest, and that is he's not a super prayer warrior. He's simply a man of prayer. And I would assume, given the opportunity, Daniel would say, you know, this is normal, not abnormal. And so, as we go through this, uh, we will be looking at a few aspects of this, but the question comes out, uh, you know, about my, as I look at this, you know, the question starts to, to come to me as to my, about my own prayer life. And and uh, makes you think about yourself and 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 how you commune with God. Uh, Daniel's also a student of the Word. As much as is possible, he gets to the Word, reads it, and we find here as as we look at this that he has uh, been reading the book of Jeremiah. And in in reading the book of Jeremiah, he's he's reading specifically the the twenty fifth uh, chapter. Uh, and I would like to share that with you as, as we get started here. He says, The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem for 23 years from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, to this day, the word of the Lord has come to me. That's Jeremiah speaking. And I have spoken persistently to you. But you have not listened. Okay, It's really important that you get a hold of this because this is why the Hebrew people are in Babylon. They have ignored the word of God. They have not been faithful to the word of God. They have not been faithful to prayer. In fact, they have given as much emphasis, and in some cases more emphasis, to false gods. And so, this is, this is something that is fallen. And so, Jeremiah says, you know, I've given you this from God and you haven't listened. Uh, you have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear, although the Lord persistently sent to you all His servants, the prophets, saying, turn now every one of you 
from his evil way and evil deeds and dwell upon the land which the Lord has given to you and your fathers from the old and forever. Do not go after other gods to serve and worship them or provoke me to anger with the work of your hands. In other words, the things that they were making which happened to be idols and, and, and stuff like that. Uh, then I will, I will do you no harm. If you would just listen to me, follow my words, I would do you no harm. I would bring no judgment on you, is what God is saying through Jeremiah. Yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands and, and to your own harm. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord. And for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring... Notice how he says that. My servant. And I will bring them against his land, uh, against this land in, and its inhabitants, and against all the surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will banish from them the voice of mirth, and the voice of gladness, and the voice of the bridegroom, and the voice of the bride, the grinding of the millstones, and the light of the lamp, the whole land shall become a ruin and a waste. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon seventy years. There's where this seventy years comes from now. Thereafter, seventy years are completed. I will punish the king of Babylon. And that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. I will bring upon that land all the wounds that I have uttered against it, everything written in this book, which Jeremiah prophesied against all the nations. For many nations and great kings shall make slaves even of, uh, make slaves even of them. And I will recompense them according to their deeds and the work of their hands. Those are scary words. And so, uh, you know, and, and in one other verse uh, in chapter 29, it says, I know the plans I have, uh, have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and, and, and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me uh, with all your heart. And, and, and so he's basically saying there's a time where you're going to change your, your thinking and you're going to want to come back. And so this is what Jeremiah, or I mean Daniel is looking at. He's been studying the book of Jeremiah. And in so doing, he comes up with this picture, oh, the 70 years. And he starts to calculate from, uh, probably when he, he was captured. And, and taken out of Jerusalem and, 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 and taken as a captive, uh, along with, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and, and they were all there. And so he calculates and he's looking at this, and basically he's thinking, there's only a few years left before this 70 years has come. He's probably in his 80s, even possibly his 90s, some uh, commentators think. And so this idea is, is he's an old man, He's still the prime minister. He's still serving the king. And in the process of that, he's studying the book of Jeremiah. He still has time to do those things. And he's still a prayer warrior. And as a result, he's, he's praying and talking and, and stating to, to the, the Hebrew people, you know, 
the 70 years is, is almost here. And, and we'll be uh, ready to go home. And so Jan, Daniel sees the need for specific prayer as Israel's exile ends. That will direct the people as to how, what they are to do. And so, uh, you notice in the, this prayer, and, and I'm not going to go over it all in, in detail, it's been read to you, um, Daniel's prayer begins with verse 3. And verse 3 basically starts it. Then I turned my face to the Lord, God seek, the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy and with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So here he is. He's, his first thing is that he's going to plead for mercy. Daniel does, Daniel does not see himself as an innocent person. He knows he is a sinner. And we know from Romans, uh, what Paul has, has written, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's nothing new to the Hebrew people. We, they, they, you know, he, and so Daniel knew he was, and so he's pleading for mercy, not just for himself, but for the Hebrew people. And then he begins to, to, to start fasting. Now, the reason for fasting is so that he can focus. He's going to take time, set it aside, and he's not going to eat. He's not going to be disrupted with food. He's drawing his focus to the, to the, to the concentration and, 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 and just looking to pray and, and commune with the Lord. Now, sackcloth and ashes, people will say, why does he need to do that? That was a way of a person declaring that he was not clean, without God, and that he was not worthy. He, it's a, a sense of a sign of the humility of coming before the throne of God. And so here he is. He's pleading for mercy. He's, he's, he's fasting so that he might focus on his prayer. And he is uh, taking on sackcloth and ashes to show his humility before the throne of God and, and, and just in every way being a man of surrender to God to glorify God and who He is. I don't know how many of you know who John Owens was, but he was a, a, an avid Christian writer and, and uh, preacher. And uh, he said something I thought was interesting. He said, what an individual is in secret... Now, notice, Daniel's prayer is private here. It's not something that's being done before a large group or anything. So... This would be a picture of Daniel in secret. What an individual is in secret on his knees before God, that he is. Period. In other words, however you are before the throne of God on your knees, that's who you are. Well, somebody says, what if I'm not on my, what if I don't pray and, 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 and get on my knees? He's not being, knees is the symbolic picture, but he's talking about our relationship with the Lord in prayer is the identity of who we actually are. Nothing more, nothing less, he adds. I looked at that and I said, whoa. <laughs> Actually, I wrote, ouch. <laughs> um, this is a picture of what John Owens is saying, is, is that the way we pray and commune with God is the identity of how we stand in this world and basically for the future, eternity. 
And I thought that's interesting because what he's saying is how close, basically he's saying, how close are you to your, to the God who saves you? How close are you to the God who loves you? And you might say, well, he wasn't showing love for the Hebrew people. Oh, yes, he was. His dis- he was disciplining them so that they would return to him. They had drifted away to false gods, building and making idols and all these different things. And he, he allowed the, the Babylonian captivity in order to bring them back to their knees, so to speak. Dan's, Daniel's uh, commitment to prayer is an example to us. God has put this together in such a way that we can look at it and say, does this relate anywhere close to where I am in prayer? Do I need to grow more in my prayer life? Do I need to, to read the Word more? And you notice that it's, it, the way Daniel studies the Word and, and the fact that he was reading the book of Jeremiah. Hey, he's a prophet, man. <laughs> Did he have to do that? Yes, he was a prophet, you know, but he was into the Word of God. He wants this relationship. And we can't have a deep relationship with God without being into His Word on a regular basis. And so... Daniel's commitment to prayer and to the Word, both, is an example to us. I was looking at that and thinking about um, in the book of Psalms, the very first psalm for that matter, there is, is a, uh, it speaks to this in a sense. Listen, Psalm 1, verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, now, when it says not in the counsel of the wicked, it means it's, it's not the counsel of the world. Or basically, not the counsel of those who do not know the Lord. So, blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. By the way, there's a progression there. If you take your counsel from the world, ultimately you will start to stand with sinners. You'll be drawn to that because that's where your, your focus becomes, your, your thinking becomes. And if you stand with sinners, ultimately you will sit with those who scoff at God. It's a progression. So he's saying, beware. Don't stand in the counsel of the wicked. Don't, don't sit with the seat of, in the seat of scoffers. You know, uh, don't stand in the way of the sinners. But, and look at how carefully this 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 blessed man, and and the idea of blessed here is is basically uh, inwardly eternally happy. And I don't know how to explain it. That's the idea of this word blessed. Your real you, great joy in in what you have in the sense of knowing where you're going in your life. So blessed is this man. Because instead of you know taking the counsel of the world and, and, and standing in the way of sinners and sitting in the seat of scoffers, it says, His delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight is in the Word of God. And on this law, He meditates day and night. In other words, as He looks around various things, situations come up, He thinks, 
what would God have me do in this situation? Or he actually meditates. To, uh, 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 the idea is broad here in, in this particular application. He applies it day and night. He, he looks for opportunities to use it day and night. And so it's a part of his life. The Word of God isn't something that he goes to. It becomes part of who he is. Christians were, uh, uh, Hebrews were uh, told in Deuteronomy to put it over their doorways, to, to put it down the, the doorposts, uh, to, to wrap it in a, in a cloth and put it across their forehead, to wrap it in a cloth and, and, and put it around their wrists. In other words, the idea was to, to remind you constantly that the Word of God was part of who you were supposed to be. And so, that's this picture. Blessed is this man uh, who meditates day and night on the Word of God. Uh, it, you know, His grace, His glory, His mer- his God's mercy and, and, and love are all tied to this meditating and applying the Word of God. And the result of this is awesome. I, I put in my, my side notes, Lord, I want to be a... And then it goes on to what the, the, the Scripture says. Like a tree. Okay, because it says here, this man who is blessed is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all he does he prospers. Now, this idea of being in a, in a, uh, planted by streams of water, an interesting word is, is that this word for streams isn't like a, a stream feeding the river over here, uh, the river here coming down out of the mountains or anything. It's a canal built to feed, to nourish, to water, to irrigate the tree. In other words, to be planted in a sense in God's field, irrigated by God's water, God's word. This is an intimate relationship that he's talking about here. And so this, this, this picture of being like a tree. So I, like I said, I said, you know, Lord, I want to be a tree <laughs> planted in your streams of water that yield its fruit in its season. In other words, I, I have a purpose to yield specific fruit. God is wanting to use me to yield fruit. Now, what we look at from a Christian point of view, what Paul has told us is the fruit of the Spirit. Now, a lot of people have different things. They say, oh, there's nine fruit of the Spirit. Love, etc., etc., etc. Okay. I believe the fruit of the Spirit is love manifested in eight ways. Gentleness, kindness, etc. Okay? And so the fruit of the Spirit is love. And that's what he says we will do. We will, we will yield our fruit in its season, which means when it's time, when it's needed, when it's supposed to be there. And, and so, you know, the love that I need to have for other people, as it approaches as, as it's needed, it will be there. Why? Because I am planted by the stream that's nourished by, that, that, that is put together by God to nourish me. By the way, what is ultimately the stream? The Word of God. I am planted in the Word of God. And so we have this picture. It yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In other words, it's constant. It's, it's an evergreen for all intents and purposes. It's always ready. And all it does prospers. And the reason why all he does uh, prospers is because he is planted in the Word of God. And so, he's yielding the fruit that God wants him to yield. And so, it 
come, it prospers by the very nature of what it is. It's from God. It's the fruit of the Spirit. I, I, I just, this is Daniel. This is the kind of guy that he is. He, he meditates on the Word and, and, and he thinks about it and its application and, 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 and he's thinking, as he's reading this, it's clear he's thinking, how am I to relate to this in reference to the, to my people? The rest of the Jewish people that are, that are here in Babylon. And by the way, they do get released. Cyrus, it's an interesting thing. Cyrus, uh, in Isaiah, it talks about, uh, Cyrus, the, the king, uh, that will release the Hebrew people to go back to Jerusalem. It actually mentions him by name before he was ever king. Before he was ever born. Can you imagine some, Daniel walking up to, to, to him, opening up and saying, Oh, look, what you're gonna do. This is you. Um, it's just, uh, this, this picture is just so powerful. I keep coming back to this as we're going through this. God is sovereign. He is in charge. He has written this, this symphony and He is conducting it. And He's bringing it about so that, that ultimately anybody who wants to can see Him. And it's, it's, it's so, you know, you come back to this picture of, of Daniel. He's a man of, of prayer. He's a man of the Word. Uh, and, and so I, I put into here again, Bob, how much do you regard God's Word? Where is it in status to you? Uh, how does it measure up to your television uh, habits? How does it measure up to whatever else you read? How does it measure up to the time standard? You know, uh, what, what priority am I giving it, in other words, in my day-to-day life? And prayer is an intimate part of being in the Word. In fact, we see frequently some of the prayers. In fact, Daniel's prayer is praying back to God some of some of His words. You know, you you are the awesome God. Uh, you know, and you're the God of all other places where we pray. You're the God of all creation. Uh, it's it's just this this picture of of combination of being in the Word in our prayer life and. Uh, most of you know uh, Charles Spurgeon as, as far as a, a person, a great uh, preacher and, and, and writer in the sense of, of, of theo, uh, uh, parsing the Word of God so that the other ministers could come along and read it and understand it. And he says, prayer is like the howling, uh, excuse me, howling. Prayer is like the homing pigeon. It begins in the heart of God in His Word Okay, the word is a revelation of the heart of God. Okay, so prayer is like the homing pigeon. It begins in the heart of God. It is sent out and it lands in the heart of God's people. Who then send it back to the heart of God in prayer and life. Isn't that an amazing picture? You know, this is the the, the intimacy that God wants to develop with us. Scripture is important to understanding God's will. People say, I want to, I wonder what God's will is. Should I go to this college or that? Or should I buy this home and stuff like that? And my, my comment is, what of God's word do you already know that you aren't doing? 
Because that comes first. I mean, knowing the will of God is reading His Word and understanding how He wants you to live your life. And I believe that, that His answers to your questions about where to go, what job to take, and all these things will become far easier to understand and clearer if you are faithful in the Word and faithful in your relationship and your prayer life. We see here in, in the book of Daniel, you know, kind of a past, present, and future. You know, he, he looks at the past and, 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 and uh, uh, he, you know, Jeremiah and his writings, you know, looking to the past to get some input. And then he's looking at the present, where he is now, and how to apply it to where, where he is now so that the future will come together uh, in, a, in a way that will glorify God. Content of Daniel's prayer is really simple. You look at uh, verses three through six, uh, verse fourteen. Uh, it's confession is one part of it. Uh, I've sinned. We have sinned. The Hebrew people. Uh, we have not obeyed uh, his voice, which would be to say we have ignored his word as well. So, confession is part of our prayer life. We acknowledge who God is. God is is holy. He is righteous. He makes right decisions. He was totally righteous. And and Daniel makes this clear. He was totally righteous to discipline, to punish the Hebrew people. It was a righteous thing that God did. And then God's mercy and His love redeems them and pulls them back and opens the door back to Jerusalem. So we acknowledge God's holiness, His righteousness, His sovereignty, His ability to control even Darius, even Cyrus, even Nebuchadnezzar. They are, they are under His control. There is nothing that happens that doesn't ultimately come under His sovereignty. And then again, I already mentioned it, we see God's mercy pictured in this. His restoration. He hears us. He forgives us. And He restores us. It's... uh, it's just an awesome picture as we go through this prayer of Daniel. And there's so much more to it. I, I, I was supposed to actually take the whole chapter of, of, of chapter 9 and there was no way I could do it. Uh, I tried and, 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 and couldn't, just couldn't do it. So we're going to finish chapter 9 uh, next week, which is the 70 weeks part of the prophecy and, and dealing with how Gabriel enters into this picture and stuff. But... Uh, God, I, I, the, the picture I want you to see is, is, is God hears our prayers. And that is made evident in verses 20 through 23, which we didn't read this morning. But you can read them and see, you know, God hears our prayers. In fact, he says something very interesting. Uh, uh, he, uh, Gabriel tells Daniel in, in verse 23, you are greatly loved. Isn't that a powerful statement? Daniel isn't perfect. He's not free of sin. He, he pleads for God's mercy over his life. So he, he, he's, and, and, and God says through, through, through Gabriel talking to him, 
you are dearly loved. I was thinking, you know, I always think of of, of epitaphs, <laughs> and at times, you know, what would I like on my gravestone? And I, this started long before I was a Christian, actually. Uh, I was involved in a, a cross country. Uh, it's called a Jim Canna, but it's not horses; it's cars. And uh, and part of the thing was we had to stop at a graveyard in a place called Australia, uh, which is there's no community left, but there is a graveyard. And you go through there, and there's a history by just reading the gravestones. You you know this person was loved by this person, this type of thing. It was really really quite fascinating. And I thought, what you put on a gravestone is really important to, to the history of, of an area, you know. And so, you know, what, what is my epitaph? And I thought my epitaph would be to, to have this, this, this phrase, he was dearly loved by God. Yeah. God wants us to have insight to him. He wants us to know him. He wants us to understand him. Again, the man who meditates on, 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 the, on the Word of God is like a tree planted by the stream. God wants to nourish us and build us up so that we accomplish the things He wants accomplished through us. And so again, I'm saying, you, you know, speaking to Daniel, you are greatly loved. This is true of all believers. That phrase is true. It really is, for lack of better words, on our epitaph as, as, as believers before the throne of God. We are truly loved. And, you know, you, you, you look at this and, and, and someone would, would say at times, man, I don't always feel truly loved. And all I can do is to go to one of the most famous scriptures in the, in the Bible. You see it at football games, baseball games, in parades, held up on signs and all whatever. It says, For God so loved the world, John 3.16, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Let me finish the verses that go with that. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. What was the heart of Jesus? That the world would be saved. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe Him is condemned already. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light. Because their works were evil. Sounds like the time of Daniel. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest the world the works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Why? Because he has been planted by the streams of water provided by God. I wanted to, to look at those things while, as, as we prepare our hearts for, for communion. You know, God so loved that He gave. 
And we, and we read in, 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 in the very first chapter of John uh, that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. And then verse 14 says, the Word became flesh. That's why we share the bread together. The Word became flesh. It's not just the flesh on the cross. The Word became flesh. He lived as a man. And, and that we celebrate that awesome, sinless life by sharing the bread together. And, and, and so we have that picture of, of God so loved, He gave. And so, the, the Word became flesh. And then in verse 18, it says He reveals, basically, if you read it, uh, my paraphrase is He reveals the mind of God to the world. So that we can what? Know the Father through the Son and have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit working in us to produce the fruit of the Spirit. The love of God for man. I mean, it's just a, it's an awesome picture. And I believe Daniel touches on that in his prayer all the way through it. So as we have communion together, uh, let's uh, prepare our hearts. Uh, let's go ahead and have our communion song. We have two, uh, again, still using the two different uh, trays up here. One has got the, the cups uh, and it has the communion uh, juice and, and the, the grape juice and the bread in two separate cups. And the other one is the packet, whichever you're most comfortable using. And while we're singing, if you would uh, come and pick it up for yourself and if you would like for someone else as well. And let's sing our song together. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. I come just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot to Thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God I come I come just as I am thou wilt receive wilt welcome pardon cleanse relieve because thy promise I believe O Lamb of God I come I come 
just as I am, though tossed about with many a conflict, many a doubt, fightings and fears within, without a lamb of God, I come, I come, just as I am poor wretched, blind, sight riches, healing of the mind, yea, all I need in thee to find, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Not a common passage for communion, but this seemed appropriate for this morning. John, or, uh, Paul speaks in the seventh chapter of Romans of a battle that goes on in our spirit, if you will, between the idea of, of, of wanting to serve Christ but finding ourselves, you know, falling to sin, and that it's a battle going on. And it's a constant battle. And as long as we live, this battle will be happening. And, and so, uh, uh, you know, I, I agree with what the Word of God says. I want to be with what the Word of God says. And, and yet I find myself having this, bat, this battle. And so, Paul writes in, in Romans chapter 7, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law, but the law of God with my mind. And, 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 but I, even though I, with the flesh, I serve law and sin, I still serve. And so wretched man uh, that I am, uh, who's going to deliver me from this? It's thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. As a result, Romans 8.1 becomes a reality for us. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He loves us so much that He gave us His Son that all of our condemnation was carried by Him to the cross and given uh, by the words, it is finished, taken care of by Him. And that's why we share the communion. We share the bread because of, of the reality that He became flesh lived a sinless life, He died in the flesh, and He really, truly died on the cross. And when He said it was finished, it was done. So that we could take this bread today in remembrance of what He has done for us. And let's share the bread together.
Hebrews tells us that the life is in the blood and it says in the, in, in the Scripture that His blood was poured out for us. His life was poured out for us that we might have life eternal so that there will be no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's share the cup together. And the awesome thing about the sharing the bread is that He was raised in the flesh as well. A physical bodily resurrection. But an awesome God we have. And He gives us His Word to guide us, direct us, encourage us, and to explain Himself to us. And we are a blessed people beyond all measure. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the opportunity to share communion together. And we think of the reality that You said You won't do this and share this until You come again. So there's that promise tied to what we've just done that You are coming again. And as clear as can be as we look in Scripture and see all that has been done is being done and is yet to be done, we can have a confidence that the Word of God is true. You are coming again. We rest in Your grace, in Your mercy, in Your love for us. We ask, Lord, that we indeed would be trees planted by Your streams and nourished to produce Your fruit to minister to the world and to each other. We worship You. We praise You. We thank You for all that You are. All that You are yet to do. And for eternity, we look to that. And it's hard not to say, come soon, Lord Jesus. But we know that there are many things that need to be accomplished. And, and uh, help us to be involved with that work. In Jesus' name, Amen. Would you stand as we close? And thank you for being here this morning. We've got refreshments in the back. Uh, if you want to uh, take a time of uh, fellowship and sharing together. Great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation I looked to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness your loving kindness Tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished. The end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy? Whose heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. 
The cross has spoken, I am forgiven. The King of Kings calls me His own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. And then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe out of the silence. The roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. Jesus, yours is a victory. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. There's salvation in your name. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Jesus Christ, my living hope.